In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. So this is a continuation of our discussion on Georgia divorces and those from the Real Housewives of Atlanta who have been through them. Before we dive into Kenya Moore and Drew Sedora's separate petitions, we wanted to talk about a new filing that Roy filed in the divorce with Kim, and that was covered extensively in our prior episode on this topic. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Croy filed for a motion for appointment of a guardian ad litem, and I think we're just going to read portions of this because it's it's short, it's well-written, and it is written in a very conversational manner that's easy to understand. And essentially, Croy is just wanting an outside party to observe and be a participant in the proceedings for the benefit of the children. So petitioner here is Croy. Respondents Kim are the biological parents of four minor children from the parties to wit. Croy Bierman, a male child born in 2011, Cash Bierman, a male child born in 2012, Kaya Bierman, a female child born in 2013, and Kane Bierman, a male child born in 2013, said children are currently residing with petitioner and respondent in the marital residence. Croy played, and I'm just going to say Croy instead of petitioner because it's easier to understand, but Croy played in the NFL for the Atlanta Falcons until retiring in 2016. Respondent appeared on Being Kim appeared on a reality TV show, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Both parties appeared together on, quote, Tardy for the Party, a reality TV show that followed the couple and their children as they navigated through marriage and parenthood. After 11 years of marriage, Croy filed for divorce on May 8th, 2023, like we discussed in our prior episode. Financial necessity dictates that the parties and the minor children continue to live together in a 16,000-square-foot home. Thus far, the divorce is far from amicable and continues to deteriorate as it plays out in public, in public, courtesy of the media, of the entertainment media. While petitioner, meaning Croy, attempts to shield the children from the negative fallout of their parents' divorce, 
respondent continues to direct, in a derogatory tone, abusive, profane, and threat-laden language at petitioner, meaning Croy, with little concern if the children are present. She has appeared in videos and other social media platforms discussing the party's divorce. She recently posted and hinted that she would be returning to The Real Housewives of Atlanta, a reality television show that follows the lives and subsequent drama of five wealthy women living in Georgia. Both petitioner and respondent appeared on previous episodes of the series, and respondent meaning Kim's two daughters, petitioner's adopted daughters from a previous relationship, appeared quite frequently on the show. Based on previous experience, Croy is concerned that Kim will use the television show to garner attention by discussing the divorce and exposing the children to behavior that would be great for TV ratings, but not for the mental health and well-being of the children. Recently, Kim accused Croy of being a drug addict, smoking pot to such an extent that he is unable to care for the children. Kim provided no proof to support her her claims. These allegations provide no other purpose than to harass and defame Croy and put the children at risk of not being permitted to see their father. In one of Croy's motions, he provided documentation to support the allegation that Kim has won and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars through online gambling. At times, she has been so consumed with hitting the spin button on the virtual slot machine that she fails to pay adequate attention to the children, except when she permits them to gamble on her account. Side note, one of our followers on Instagram tagged us in, I think, a comment to someone who had created a compilation of all of Kim's gambling scenes on Tardy for the Party, And it was a lot. Did you watch that? Yeah. And someone else on our Patreon pointed it out as well that she had bought or said that she had purchased a ton of scratchers. Yeah. Watching that compilation of those clips and then her in the convenience store spending massive amounts of money on scratch offs and saying, well, I couldn't. I mean, she basically admitted to having a, a gambling addiction. She's like, well, I can't I can't gamble here. So I have to I'm stuck with the scratch offs. And then she's buying hundreds and hundreds of dollars in scratch offs. And she was really excited when she found out they had $30 tickets. I've never spent $30. I mean, I don't buy them usually anyway. But that was it was just that was a lot. Since the filing of the divorce, Kim has spent little time at home, leaving for hours at a time, and when she is home, she spends most of her time on the phone, leaving Croy to solely care for the minor children. Until February 2022, the parties had a live-in nanny who performed the child housekeeping duties and watched and played with the youngest three children. Croy was very involved in the children's lives, taking them to and from school, helping with homework, ensuring that they got to and from their activities and other appointments. However, since filing for divorce and having to fire the nannies, chefs, and housekeepers, Croy has been picking up all the slack, cleaning the home, picking up after the children, and preparing their meals. Kim has prepared some meals for the children, i.e. chicken fingers, frozen pizza, macaroni and cheese, and other kid favorites. (laughs) Kim frequently takes videos of herself while she is driving, even when the children are with her in the car. Croy is concerned for the children's safety. Croy shows this court that it is in the best interest and welfare of the minor children to appoint a guardian ad litem to represent the children's interests in the pending matter before this honorable court. Pursuant to, there's a code, this court has the authority to appoint a guardian to represent the best interests of the minor children in the context of a custody case. The issue of primary physical custody of the primary's minor children has been raised And since the court is required to make decisions regarding the permanent custodial arrangement as it pertains to the minor children, 
the, appoint- the appointment of a guardian is in the best interest of the minor children. Side note about this, we're going to talk more about what a guardian ad litem does briefly later on, but in some states you don't have to be an attorney and you can just volunteer to do this and you go through a program that trains you how to do it and how to advocate for the children's needs and how to speak in court. My mom actually volunteered and did this in Florida for a while, and she represented children that were either in the foster care system or were in child in need of care cases. And she would get to spend a lot of time with the children, interviewing them, and really be an objective observer and then testify in court as to factual circumstances of the children's environment and things that she observed. And it can be something that can be very helpful to the children and also a good way to volunteer if you're interested in learning more about the court system. All right. When this came out, we got some questions about it. And we have one from a member of our legal team named Sarah. And she says that she's a family law attorney in New York. And in New York, there's an attorney for the child. And it is appointed in every case in family court and in any divorce proceedings. So she was wondering if that's the case in Georgia. And that's not the case in Georgia. This is from another of our legal team members named Hannah. She says, usually in Metro Atlanta, a guardian is appointed by the court when both parties want primary custody. There is a major disagreement about final decisions for the children or there are safety allegations. Sometimes the parties also agree to have one. Some judges won't appoint them when the children are older or too young to speak. She says maybe 30% of her cases with minor children have guardians appointed. So I guess it's like state by state whether or not a guardian is automatically put in for minor children. Yeah, in the states that I've practiced in where I have some familiarity with it, it's typically when there's a either one side asks for it and the court grants it or there is a serious issue and the judge can sua sponte appoint it or there's a major custody battle and you absolutely have to have someone there that's arguing for the children's best interest because the parents. This goes to what you were talking about earlier, and this is specific to Georgia. So many guardians are attorneys, but that's not a requirement, like you said. They could be mental health professionals or other professionals who qualify for the position and have completed proper training by the Office of the Child Advocate or an approved organization. Again, not every case gets a guardian ad litem appointed. Courts appoint one when there's a major dispute, like you just said, and like our legal team member said about who should get custody or be a primary caretaker or when there's an issue of safety. And the task, what, what they're there to do is undertake a thorough investigation of all factors that pertain to the issue of custody or of any allegations of being an unfit parent. They might look into the child's background, family conditions, schooling, and anything else that would help them determine what arrangements would be best for the child. They might also direct the child or parents to get a physical or mental health evaluation if necessary. They could also interview relatives, teachers, and the child and visit, visit the child's home and then make a recommendation in the form of a report to the court. So I just want to give an anecdote here. My mom, when she was volunteering as a guardian in Florida, she I had been practicing law for a few years at this time already in the Midwest, and she called me up, and she was shocked. And she's like, I always thought when you go to court, the judges know everything. I always thought they would know every detail of every single case and know all the law. She's like, I didn't realize that a lot of what attorneys do is educating the judge on the case and on the law. 
And I thought it was interesting that my mom was so surprised about that. And I think maybe a lot of people think that. I mean, some of these judges have massive dockets. They're, you know, have a huge backlog of cases. And a lot of judges have clerks. Some don't. that can help them prepare for hearings. But a lot of your job as an attorney, especially in state court, is explaining to the judge what happened, giving the facts, and then explaining the applicable law. And I just thought it was interesting that my mom... She was shocked. She, I think she had this idea in her head that the judges were kind of all-knowing and they knew everything before every case. I mean, I, I, going back to Corey's petition, I don't feel like it hurts having one. Did you have a chance to read Kim's answer to it? Yeah, it was just a standard. It was just an answer to the... Mm-hmm. Because Croy filed first, Kim then... He won, like, the race. And so Kim then had to file an answer to Croy's divorce petition and then make a counterclaim for divorce. So that's what she did. And she didn't really address any of this stuff. And it was a pretty standard answer. All right. Let's get to some Patreon questions. We posted asking for questions from patrons recently. So if you want to ask those questions for future episodes, be sure to join our Patreon. This is from Kathleen. She brings up the scratch-off issue. She said, remember when they would take all the kiddos and go on vacation in the RV? Kim would buy $4 sign in scratch-offs. I think that means like a lot of money. Regarding the divorce with alimony and child support, if they have combined bank accounts or separate bank accounts, who would pay whom? Corey would have an NFL pension. How would that be decided to divide? So NFL pensions are a very specialized area of the law that I am not well versed in. I have some kind of anecdotal knowledge of it, um, but it's not easy to get access to a player's NFL pension. I will say that. That is maybe safe from Kim. I'm not sure. Again, it's a very, very specialized area of the law. With regard to alimony, child support, bank accounts, separate bank accounts, who would pay whom. I mean, in a divorce proceeding, a lot of that is going to go up to them proving who spent what on what and then a court order for who has to pay what. But sometimes even issues can come up with that. So say the judge orders that all of the debt from a couple particular credit cards be paid by one party. And then you agree to that in either in a judgment or a settlement agreement but then if the if that other spouse doesn't pay that, then you have to take them back to court, and it's a different action. It's an action to enforce the judgment. You don't reopen the divorce. It can get very complicated and messy. Yeah, then I think in our prior episode, we talked about how alimony might be decided. So if you're curious about understanding the financial division there, you can go back and listen to that. And I think you addressed it in the Lisa Hochstein episode mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Then there was a question from Kate. She said, I saw some legal docs filed by Croy on Reddit that Kim is a gambling addict. Eek. I guess not really a question, but we did discuss that in our prior episode and then we posted it on our Patreon as well. So for those who wanted to actually read the petition, we put it on our Patreon. Do you want to address any of these other ones? Yeah, someone asked, I'm curious if they can keep the house via bankruptcy proceedings and if so, who gets it during a divorce and if they are upside down on it would the other spouse still be on the hook for the debt owed? Again, that gets complicated. As far as we know, they have not filed for bankruptcy as of yet. I think that might be coming, but right now it'll be up to the judge to decide who. Now, typically, even in a bankruptcy, you can say, okay, well, this is my homestead, and there's a homestead exemption for that because 
the courts don't have an interest in taking your dwelling away from you. In this instance, since so much money is owed, the court may order, the divorce court may order that the home be sold and then split split what's left over accordingly, if any. Maybe there's only debt left over if they're upside down in it. So, Okay, and then moving on now to Kenya Moore's divorce petition. So this has been going on for a while, and I think the end is in sight. So we'll discuss what we know about that. I want to just start out by saying that we couldn't find the documents for this case on the docket. We've pieced together what we can from public reporting on it and from their own interviews and We think uh, based on what they've shared with the media. So we think that this docket might be sealed. And that happens. You can get a divorce proceeding sealed under some specific circumstances. So some reasons commonly accepted by the court are to protect victims of domestic violence, protect children from being identified in the proceeding, protecting proprietary business information, preventing the spread of false allegations. It's not enough to just say you're embarrassed or want privacy, so there has to be a specific injury that would result from the divorce records being public. We don't know what that reason was here. We just know we can't access the filings. I mean, I don't personally have any problem with divorce pleadings being sealed. It's already hard enough to go through a divorce, and then if you're in the public eye... Having and especially if you have what looks to be like a vindictive spouse trying to harm you, I I don't really have any problem with it being sealed. I think I'm kind of actually glad the court did that for Kenya. Yeah, and I have a feeling it'll happen in Kim and Croy's as well. I don't, I don't know with those two. I mean, I think Croy has. You don't think st- any either of them would file for it? No, I think I think. Kim might eventually, but Kim wants attention and she wants to profit off of it, I'm sure, just from her past behavior. And Croy, I think, has a strategic interest in having it open because the court of public opinion, in his mind, may more likely be on his side because he's shown himself to be more of a perhaps reasonable person. I think Kim will want the attention and I think Croy strategically will it will be better for him to not ask for it to be sealed so that Kim can't control the narrative. Or he can do what we think is being done in Kenya and Marks and release information. Yeah. So I think it would probably be in the best interest of the children for him to file to seal it. And then if he wants to share his petitions publicly, have at it. (laughs) I don't know. He also might want Kim to be able to talk about it, not just or at least be able to maybe go off and get her own source of income, you know? Maybe, maybe. Maybe parlay it into being on reality TV again so at least she has some income coming in because then he would perhaps be less on the hook for alimony. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. All right. Let's place our bets. I bet it'll be sealed within the next five months. But I don't know. Okay. That's I'm, I'm going to bet no. <laughs> I'm going right, to, okay, my so. bet is this. I'm, I'm getting, a, I'm bet that neither one of them asked for it. Now the court might do it. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that I don't think either one of them will ask for it. Okay. Let's see how it plays out. What do you guys bet, legal team? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kenya released a statement in 2019. It says, It is with profound sadness that I regret to inform my fans that I am divorcing my husband, Mark Daly. She said to people, She said, Due to recent and ongoing circumstances, I can no longer continue in the marriage. My sole concern and focus is and will always be my daughter, Brooklyn, my miracle baby. She was made in love and true commitment. I ask for our privacy to be respected 
moving forward. She attempted to reconcile in 2020, and that failed. And Kenya later cited a breakdown in communication as one of the foundational issues. I mean, I watched Mark's behavior on the show, and if that was him putting on a good face, (laughs) like his best put forward, I mean, again, it's edited. It's hard to judge someone accurately from a brief stint of time on a highly edited reality show, but it he didn't come off as great on it. Kenya has long stated that Mark has been the source of holdups in the divorce. Personally, I find that to be believable. I think there have been accusations on both sides that we'll get to. It's come out that he wants part of the Moore Manor. We all know what the Moore Manor is. He says that it's the party's marital residence. He says that's where Kenya and the children, or the child, sorry, currently reside, and he seeks an equitable division of the party's marital residence. So at trial, what will be determined is if he gets any ownership rights in the property. She bought that before she knew him, before they got married. I can't even, that's ridiculous. In my in my personal opinion, that's ridiculous that he's asking I don't even that. think that he was... like stayed there for longer than a week. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to be <laughs> our normal objective, but I do not like him. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just being going to be honest about that. I don't care for him from what I saw on the show. And maybe that's unreasonable but because he was on a reality show that was highly edited, but I I do not, did not like it. So they agreed that Kenya will have sole physical custody, but they're at odds on legal custody. And Kenya is also seeking child support. So I guess this has been scheduled to go to trial for a while, but there's been delays on both ends. According to Kenya, she says there's been a lot of, quote, I can't make that date, cancellations, we would be going to mediation, and then we get a phone call, we can't make a mediation today or tomorrow, so we have to cancel and reschedule. So just a lot of conflicts that have pushed the date out. She said that Mark refused to sign off on certain details. Just a lot of never signing anything, never agreeing. It's just never ending. This article that I'm referring to is from The Sun from May 15, 2023. And she, quote, said, if we don't come to an agreement this week, then it looks like we'll have to go to trial. Spoiler, they are going to trial later this month. Yeah. So Kenya has explained to the press that there were to be two separate trials one was on custody when they were separated until the divorce was filed, and then another's for the divorce. Kenya told the U.S. Sun, I think it's confusing to a lot of people. When I filed for the custody motion, it was because he was trying to deny me my natural right as the primary physical and legal custodian of her. He was trying to deny my rights by blocking me from filming with her on The Housewives, which, by the way, that kid is so cute. Like, Every time she shows up and talks to Kenya and it's doing her little karate or whatever, it's so cute. And as you know, that's my job. That's my bread and butter. That's something I did before him. And he knew I did it. He knew I was on TV. He agreed to allow our daughter to film. He's only tried to block me once I filed for separation. Then he tried to block me from filming with her. So that's why I filed for custody so that it would be a legal agreement between us when we were separated that he couldn't block me from enjoying my rights as the physical primary. Once that was settled, then I filed for divorce. So going back to the delay issue, um, there have been reports that it might not be totally Mark's fault for the delays in the divorce. There's a claim that Kenya was dragging her feet on providing Mark with information on her finances. He said it took months to overturn basic documents, and even she, she even failed to submit a proposed child support worksheet, which we talked about in our prior episode, which is a requirement before Um, a hearing. They had to file like a their plan for custody and such. 
Mark pleaded with the court for help in getting Kenya to act. There was an order that reveals the parties appeared for a hearing, and the judge said that Kenya admitted to not turning over all the documents, citing privacy concerns, and those ended up being sealed. So I guess there was a dispute on financial records, and she got them sealed. So according to a June 14th entertainment article, Mark submitted court documents requesting that the upcoming trial with Kenya be sealed, which as Ceci said, it's scheduled to begin later in June, which would be this month. And Mark advised the judge that he and Kenya are, quote, celebrity figures, which I guess Mark thinks really highly of himself. (laughs) So that's what we know about those two right now. Yeah, they're getting up for trial. I mean, we also know like his divorce counsel withdrew in April. We don't know why. Which is always a bad sign. Yeah. When you're when the attorneys fire the client, that's that's typically not a good sign. And that as an attorney, if I especially when I have my own practice in, you know, when an individual has three or four different attorneys that have fired them, that's typically says something about that individual. <laughs> totally. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Legal team. Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and, oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk. And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces. And they start at only $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold. Quince. 
So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have a wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates and guess what? Quince has the matching sets. They look identical to matching sets I've already purchased from another sports brand. They have the same thing and at a fraction of the cost. I was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that I could only get one set at this other sportswear place. I mean, come on. Quince is just killing it. If you've shopped there before, it's time to go back on again. They have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer. They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They have got a ton of stuff, and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is an amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys. All right, let's move on to Drew Sedora and Ralph Pittman. Drew Sedora was born on May 1st, 1985 in Chicago. She's an actress and producer known for her recurring role as Chantel in the Disney Channel original series That's So Raven and Lucy Avila in the 2006 film Step Up as Tyone Watkins in the VH1 TLC biographical film Crazy Sexy Cool, the TLC story, and the BET comedy drama television series The Game. She joined The Real Housewives of Atlanta in 2020, and she's been married to Ralph Pittman since August 21st, 2014. She has some songs. She signed a record deal. She had some music videos. And she danced in Sean Paul's Give It Up To Me video. Yeah, I didn't realize she was on this, like she was featured on the Step Up soundtrack with a couple songs back in 2006. So Ralph Pittman, which is Drew's husband that she's divorcing, he is mostly known for going to Tampa and not telling anyone what he was doing there, putting cameras in his house to film his family, apparently without their knowledge, and gaslighting Drew Sedora. I'm not saying this to be shady, but in reality, no one knew who he was before he went on Houses of Atlanta, and those are his most memorable scenes. And if you haven't seen the gaslighting montage that the Real Houses of Atlanta producers put out about Ralph, you're missing out. It was that was some good editing. So I wanted to talk just a briefly brief segue here about what gaslighting actually is and where it came from, because there's so many instances on Real Housewives of them talking about it, and it's used incorrectly a lot. <clears throat> Lisa Rinna. So. The word gaslighting is occasionally used in clinical literature, but it's considered a colloquialism by the American Psychological Association. And there's a couple definitions of it, but they all basically say that gaslighting is to manipulate someone using psychological methods into questioning their own sanity or powers of reasoning. It can also be described as the subjective experience in which an individual's perception of reality is repeatedly undermined or questioned by another person. The term alludes to the 1944 American film Gaslight, which was a remake of the 1940 British film of the same name, which in turn is based on the 1938 thriller play Gaslight. Set among London's elite during the Victorian era, it portrays a seemingly genteel husband using lies and manipulation to isolate his heiress wife and persuade her that she is mentally unwell so that he can steal from her. In the story, the husband secretly dims and brightens the indoor gas-powered lighting, 
but insists his wife is imagining it, making her think she is going insane. So gaslighting involves two parties, the gaslighter, who persistently puts forth a false narrative, and the gaslighted, who struggles to maintain their individual autonomy. Gaslighting is typically effective only when there's an unequal power dynamic or when the person being gaslighted has shown respect to the gaslighter. Gaslighting is different from genuine relationship disagreement, which is both common and important in relationships. Gaslighting is distinct in that the victim partner is consistently listening and considering the other partner's perspective, and the gaslighting partner is constantly negating the other's perception, insisting that they are wrong or telling them that their emotional reaction is irrational or dysfunctional. So now you guys know what gaslighting actually is and where it came from. So, <laughs> Ceci, I, I'm just going to be really honest with everyone here and you. I don't care for Ralph either. <laughs> so I also had to look up whether or not you could video, whether or not a husband or wife or spouse could video their spouse in their home without the spouse's knowledge or consent. And Ceci, what does Georgia law say about that? Georgia prohibits the use of a camera without the consent of all persons observed to observe, photograph, or record the activities of another which occur in any private place and out of public view. So against the law, can't be doing that. Can't be secretly recording your wife without her consent, Ralph. So also, just FYI, you can record a telephone conversation in Georgia if you are a party to the conversation, meaning like you're one of the people on the phone speaking. And the recording will typically be admissible evidence at any hearing or trial. Therefore, if you're in Georgia or in another state that has one-party consent and you're having a telephone conversation, you might be able to record them if your state allows one-party consent for recording a telephone conversation. The problem with that is a lot of times, especially in divorce proceedings, when people are so contentious that somebody can provoke a fight and then not start the recording until the other person has been pushed over the edge, which is not good. So be careful out there. Yeah. So to be fair, I do want to give a little bit of background on who Ralph Pittman is, separate and apart from him being a recorder of private events <laughs> and gaslighter. So he attended Rutgers University, where he played football and graduated with a degree in business economics while also studying music theory. This is from his own website. He's been able to attain success in both of his passions and over the past 15 years has served as an advisor to Fortune 500 companies. He has composed various musical works for television and film productions and projects, most recently composing music for the acclaimed film Preacher's Son, based on the novel written by New York Times bestselling author Carl Weber. All right, so getting into their divorce, they both filed for divorce on February 27, 2023. Ralph, in a statement to People, said love is a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, we have made the difficult decision to move on to our next chapters, independent of each other. Drew and I have decided to file for divorce. We have three amazing young children, and their mindset and growth is what is most important. As we navigate this difficult time, I ask that you please respect our privacy. Drew said in a statement, quote, After eight years of wholeheartedly fighting for my marriage, I have made the agonizing decision to release my husband with love. 
It sounds like she's releasing him back into the wild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Although Ralph and I have decided to move forward separately, the hope is to remain friends so that we can co-parent responsibly. In spite of our very public life, I am asking for privacy during this difficult time as my children and I learn how to navigate through our new beginnings. All right, so they both filed petitions. We have a copy of Drew Sedora's amended petition, which I think means that her original petition was a little bit mm, the opposite of juicy. Not as juicy as the one that we now have. And we can't access this anymore either. I think you were able to access the docket at some point in early May, but it's since been sealed. Yeah, they got it sealed in mid-May. So this is from Ralph's petition. He says that he's entitled to a divorce because there is no reasonable hope of reconciliation. He says there are two children born as issue of the marriage between the parties. He thinks that it is in the best interest of the parties are awarded, or are awarded joint physical custody of the minor children, resulting in a parenting time schedule that promotes both the petitioner and respondent to experience having the children in his or her respective physical custody for an equal amount of time on a consistent basis. Ralph asserts that it is in the best interest of the children if they're also awarded joint legal custody, and he wants sole ownership and possession of their marital home because he claims he solely satisfied the loan and upkeep of it. Ralph asserts that the parties, meaning he and Drew, share a joint debt derived from a personal loan from a third party. The loan proceeds were apportioned and used to fund joint ventures for both parties during the marriage. Therefore, Ralph asserts that this debt should be subject to equitable division among the parties. We don't Um, know what that's for. Yeah. Says he thinks maybe drop it with Drew. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was for drop it with Drew. Ralph also wants their individual debts, for example, credit cards, to be their respective individual responsibility. And then he says that Drew shouldn't get any alimony or spousal support because of the Real Housewives. Do you want to read that paragraph? Yeah. Ralph asserts that Drew shall not be entitled to alimony or spousal support. Ralph is employed by Truly Original... Oh, Drew is employed by Truly Original LLC as a reality star and appears on a national reality show. Drew's earning capacity... Drew's earning capacity far exceeds Ralph's capacity as she is a pivotal character on this nationally syndicated franchise show that is shown on Bravo Television Network. Additionally, Drew is an established professional actress and artist. (laughs) You're shaking your head. What do you think about that, Sissy? I just feel like he probably never gave her credit for being anything big on Real Housewives. And now that it benefits him in the sense that he doesn't want to like pay support or alimony, now he's pointing it out. Yeah. Convenient. Yeah, totally. I mean, her, I'm not saying in any way that Drew was perfect, but I'm not saying she didn't have flaws. I'm not saying she didn't, I'm not saying that in any way, but I completely agree with Sussie's take there. All right, let's move on to Drew's petition. And like I said, so she had an original petition that we don't have access to. We do have access to this amended one. And I have a feeling that maybe after reading his petition or getting more conversations going with him, she amended it to include some more salacious details. Well, she's, is she claiming a fault-based divorce now? Yeah. That's what it looked like to me from reading mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike the other ones that we've read where it's the reasons irreconcilable differences, here she put the reason as adultery. She says respondent has participated in extramarital sexual relations with persons other than her, other than Drew, and he is a serial cheater and adulterer. We'll read through this. I was going to summarize it, but it's really good content-wise, so we're going to read through it. Agreed. So again, it's petitioner and respondent. Petitioner, just to remind you all out there, is the person that's filing the pleading 
and then respondent is the person that would have to respond to the bleeding, we're going to say Drew and Ralph just because it's easier. Drew shows his honorable court that Ralph has alienated the feelings of Drew. Such cruel treatment has actually persisted for the past couple of years of the party's marriage, but has accelerated and gotten progressively worse during the month of February 2023. First, Ralph, who is an authorized signer on Drew's business bank account, withdrew a large sum of money from Drew's account during the week of February 13th to 17th, 2023. Then on or about February 20th, 2023, Ralph became physically aggressive, and this is bolded and italicized, with Drew to the point that she considered filing an application for a temporary protective order and flying with her three minor children to Chicago so that so that she and the minor children could feel safe. Drew shows this court that Ralph willfully engaged in such cruel treatment, which has seriously affected both the health and welfare of Drew, to the extent that she has a reasonably justified apprehension for her emotional health and for the mental and emotional health of their minor children. Drew shows this court that Ralph grabbed her cell phone out of her hand on or about February 2023, causing Drew to fall to the floor. Ralph literally peeled the phone out of Drew's hand aggressively. When Drew begged for Ralph to give her cell phone back, he screamed at Drew, stating that he pays the cell phone bill so the phone belongs to him. Drew called 911, but no police ever showed up. On Tuesday, February 21st, 2023, Drew had to obtain a new cell phone for herself. So she continues, Drew shows this court that in addition to being a serial adulterer, Ralph has allowed his multiple paramours to have direct contact with Drew, such that they could flaunt the fact that Ralph is engaging in sexual relationships with each of them. One such paramour even had the unmitigated gall and audacity to screenshot and send her sexting messages directly to Drew's estranged husband and sent the messages to Drew on or about February 27, 2023. This particular brazen paramour even sent text messages to Drew, letting Drew know that she had the address to their marital home. When Drew confronted Ralph about the messages, Ralph insisted that the parties attend a marriage counseling session on February 28, 2023, in which Ralph professed his love for Drew and declared in the presence of the marriage counselor that he wanted to work on their marriage. Drew shows the court that Ralph's cruel treatment did not stop there. On the morning of February 27, 2023, Ralph insisted that the parties attend another marriage counseling session and Drew agreed. In the counseling session on the morning of February 27, 2023, Ralph asked Drew to give the relationship a little more time. Ralph asked Drew specifically in the presence of their marriage counselor on Monday morning if they could give the relationship a try and if they could make and if they could not make their marriage work then he wanted the parties to work with the marriage counselor on mediation and coming up with an agreement during the week of February 27th to March 3rd Drew maintains that she and Ralph agreed on the morning of February 27 2023 that they would participate in an uncontested divorce process if they moved forward and that it would be a peaceful filing for the sake of their children and petitioner's oldest son from a previous relationship. Drew agreed to give the uncontested divorce a try. When leaving the marriage counseling session, Ralph asked her to give him a heads up before filing for a divorce, and no matter what happened, he would agree to let her file for divorce first. 
After the counseling session on Monday, February 27th, 2023, Drew checked in with her attorney and confirmed that the parties would make every effort to reach a peaceful agreement on behalf of their minor children, and this action was filed as an uncontested divorce. Accordingly, Drew's uncontested complaint for divorce in this case was filed in this action in hopes that the parties would work towards reaching an amicable agreement this week. Drew now knows that the entire counseling sessions on Friday and Monday were both a charade, as Ralph very clearly wanted to strike first in divorce court. Ralph was trying to lull Drew to sleep while he filed his complaint for divorce on the same day, filed with salacious allegations in an effort to embarrass and humiliate. Because Drew's uncontested complaint for divorce in this case was filed first, the judges in this honorable court determined on Friday, February 28, 2023, that the divorce proceeding would proceed under this action. Drew shows the court that Ralph has also been financially abusive throughout the party's marriage. In addition to withdrawing a large sum of money out of Drew's business bank account during the week of February 13th to 17th, Drew shows the court that Ralph has wiggled his way into every work project that Drew has in an effort to get himself on camera as much as possible. I mean, that's not unbelievable. He did show up to film when Drew was in Chicago (laughs) by himself. So... Oh, additionally, he's asserted himself into all of Petitioner's business affairs and has taken control of all of her business and personal finances. In addition to having access to Drew's business funds and spending at least 50% or more of all that income that Drew has earned during the marriage under the guise of paying household bills, Ralph squandered hundreds of thousands of dollars of Drew's personal injury settlement received by her. Ralph received much more than a mere loss of consortium claim. Simply because Ralph has handled paying the marital household bills with Drew's income, that does not mean that Drew failed or refused to make financial contributions to the marital household. Drew is certain that her income has paid most of the household bills throughout the duration of the party's marriage because Ralph has had complete access to all of her income, and Ralph spent her income however he deemed appropriate, but not anymore. I mean, this tracks with what we've seen on the show. I'm not... I mean, this is just, these are just allegations made in a document. None of these have been proven yet. These are, this is just what Drew is saying. But some of it does track what we've seen on the show. When she had to stop by, I forget whose house it was, maybe Charade's or somebody's, she had to stop by somebody's house, but she couldn't let Ralph know she was there. And then when they all had that gift they were supposed to bring for Secret Santa and she brought her old weave and everyone else brought like a really nice gift. And I, in my head, I was like, I bet I bet Ralph wouldn't let her spend the money to buy something. But again, I'm just saying this tracks with what we've seen on the show, but these are just allegations. Nothing has been proven yet. But in my mind, it kind of tracks what we've seen. Drew wants sole legal and physical custody of their children with Ralph paying child support. Remember, he doesn't want to pay child support because he says she has enough income from housewives. And she wants to retain sole possession of their marital home. Remember, he's contesting that because he says he paid more for the upkeep of the home. So that's that. We had a question from a patron of our legal team. It says Tori from Torytown. Oh, I like that. Tori from Torytown. <laughs> I had to stand it out. <laughs> so she asked what we know about Drew's divorce from Ralph so far. So hopefully that answers that question. She also said that where she lives in Ontario, the child support is determined based on a very strict calculation and set in a table. And I will say that a lot of states have that very similar where it's literally just math. And I talked about that a bit in our previous episode on this issue. But in some states, all of the judges get together 
every couple years and they go through the calculations and decide. And it's a worksheet that every party has to fill out by law, talking about what income you have, what resources you have, how much you work, what access you have to other resources. And then it's literally just math deciding child support. So there's no emotional or argument or I shouldn't have to pay child support because they cheated. It's just a math calculation. So Tory from Torytown, there are some states in the United States that do that. All right, guys. And like we said, we think this is going to keep getting messier. We will continue to report on it and explain the legal issues involved. I hope you forgive me for not having a very good attitude about Ralph or Mark. Mark. That's all right. We're human. I'm being I'm human. I'm being honest. I do want to make a plug for our Supreme Court Zoom. I feel like we haven't talked about that in a while. Oh, yeah. So every third Wednesday of the month, those who are Supreme Court members on our Patreon get a personal hour and a half, sometimes two hours long chat session with us where we talk about all your legal questions live. We formed a really great group. I think it's pretty fun and we have great listeners that attend that. So if you're interested in that, it's kind of like bonus content. Be sure to sign up for that. Again, it's every third Wednesday of the month. Yeah, head to our Patreon. 7 p.m. Central. We don't give legal advice. There is no legal advice. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyer. But we do answer the questions. And then a lot of times we give a lot more of our personal opinions as well. So if you're curious about what we personally think about things, because except for today with me, we typically try to be way more objective. So do that. Thanks, legal team. All right. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Network. 